0: I just want to let you know if you want more pancakes, please don't be shy at all going back and getting some more, even while I'm up here talking, because if I could talk and eat at the same time, I'd be getting me some pancakes right now. So please feel free to go back and get some. But This morning, we're beginning a new lesson series called Rockstar, and we have these misconceptions about who Jesus is and the way that he did things and why he did things the way he did things. And thanks to all the movies that are out there. You know, we've seen these Jesus movies. Thanks to all those Jesus movies out there. We tend to see him as a long-haired, fair-skinned, feminine, sissified wimp who's walking through the countryside wearing a long white robe carrying a little lamb. That's how we see him a lot of times. When we think of Jesus, that's what we picture a lot of times. People tend to see him more as a hippie than they do a hero. But if you can lay aside all of those preconceived ideas that we tend to have about him, you can see that he really was like a rock star back then. People were clamoring to be next to him. The paparazzi, they were always around. The Bible tells us that great crowds followed him wherever he went. And I'm sure if there were cell phones back then, that every move that he made would be sent out over Twitter all the time. People were always around him. So, I think you're going to enjoy what happens as we go through this series because each Sunday you're going to have a front row seat with Jesus as we see these personal encounters that he had with people along the way throughout his ministry. And every time that Jesus had an experience with somebody, he never left them the same way that he found them. A lot of times he would encounter people just as he was traveling. And he wouldn't be with them for more than just a few minutes, maybe a few hours at the most. And, you know, it's kind of like if you were sitting at Cafe Milo down the road or Cafe Diem downtown, and you're sitting in there at a, little, at a, at a table by yourself, and Jesus walks in. And he goes up to the counter, and he buys a diet dew, because we know Jesus doesn't drink coffee. But he goes up there, and he buys a diet dew and he comes down, and he sits at your table with you. And then for the next several minutes, you and Jesus, you have this conversation. He's asking you questions. It seems like he has known you your whole entire life. He knows all of this stuff about you. And when he leaves, he leaves you with these real sobering decisions that you're going to have to make. So if you're looking for God, If you're looking for God in your spiritual journey, you have questions about Jesus Christ, then I challenge you to be here for each part of this series. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, then you're going to want to be here too, because you're going to see an example of what it means to have a true encounter with Jesus. You're going to see an example of the life that God has created you to live, and it will help you become a better Jesus follower. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. This is on your listening guide. There's a white sheet of paper in your program, too. All the verses that we read will be, uh, be on that, and it'll be up here on the screen. And if you want to take notes, you can take them on your listening guide. It's there for your use. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10 says, For the old system, which that's talking about the Old Testament. Yeah, it's talking about the Old Testament and its way of God and man being reunited. It says the old system dealt only with certain rituals, you know, what food to eat and drink, rules for washing themselves, rules about this and that and all this other stuff. And it says the people had to keep these rules to tide them over until Christ came with God's new and better way. Jesus has a new and better way for us to live. Now, here at Freedom Ridge, we believe that there's a lot more freedom that Jesus has for us than what a lot of people tend to think. Now, we burden ourselves with these rules and these rituals, but Jesus wants us to live in freedom. He wants us to live in freedom. And I want to show you a video. This is one of the preconceived ideas that people have about Jesus, about how he acts, the way he looks the way he talks, and, you know, some of the things that he has for us to do. So as you watch this, just see if maybe this is what you thought Jesus, at some point in your life, or maybe even right now, this is what you think Jesus was like.
1: Hello. Welcome to the first Christian church meeting. Here are the rules. Rule number one, spend all of your free time in church Rule number two, you're not allowed to have any fun unless you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. Rule number three, wear t-shirts with my face on it. Rule number four, always smile and act happy. And finally, wear a stylish beard like mine. I knew it! Jesus! Ah! No one told me about this meeting and nice try, You said I could be a Christian if I gave up all my fun and grew this beard. Look at my beard! Well, I heard that you missed the prayer meeting for a silly game. But I had tickets to the Super Bowl, Jesus! That was incredible! The Israelites drove down and kicked THE field goal AND the refs, and it's good! Be quiet. Mm, No, well, football! No. I love football! Yeah, I can't believe my dad showed up. How embarrassing. Oh crap, my fake beard fell off! They're totally gonna kick me out! Er, wait. Is What's he saying? We're all going to play football or something? Yeah, football. Yeah. Alright, stop. Stop crying. Rise. You can be a Christian if you promise to burn all of your footballs and and have our church again? Promise? Yeah, oh boy.
0: So can you relate? Can you relate to that? What we're going to do is we're going to key in this morning that, on the fact that Jesus is not about rules. He doesn't have all of these rules for us. And up to this point in time, when, when Jesus came around, they thought that... Let me block that for you. They thought that the way they relate to God is by keeping all these rules, keeping all these rituals, all these things that were set forth for them, that they had to keep all of these in order to have a right relationship with God. And there's a great example of this in Mark chapter 10. This is our first encounter that that we're going to look at through this series. Jesus, he meets this guy that we know as the, the rich young ruler. And what we're going to do is I want to read through this story. We've got some verses that that we're going to read this. We're going to read through it. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to learn some stuff from this. But let's go ahead. This is Mark chapter 10. We'll start at verse 17. And it says this. As Jesus went out into the street, a man came running up and greeted Jesus with reverence. And he asked, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Now, at this point in the game, the conversation was already headed south. Okay, this guy, he was already going down a well-worn, often-used, often-traveled road, but it's the wrong road. Because you see, his question was flawed. There's something wrong with the question that he asked. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This has been the problem of trying to connect with God from, you know, all through time. It's the belief that I have to do something. It's the belief that I can do more, and that I'm never quite sure if I've done enough in order to get that eternal life that we all want and we subconsciously or consciously we long for. Now, for you sports fans, we got any sports fans here? All right, for you sports fans, this is how he would ask this question. He would have said, how many righteousness points do I need to score in order to live forever in heaven with God? How many points do I need to score? Or those of you who in college, you're, you're in college, you might ask a question this way: I wonder what the entrance exam is like. I wonder what the questions are going to be like in order to get into heaven. I wonder if I've answered them right in order to gain admission into heaven. Or those of you who are churchgoers, you come from a religious background, you might ask questions like this: How many church services is enough? How many times do I have to go to church? How many verses? do I need to memorize? How many times a day do I need to pray? When will it be enough? How do I know when it will be enough? What do I have to do? Now that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question for us to be asking, and we'll see that in just a moment. Let's go ahead and continue reading this. So Jesus said to the man, why are you calling me good teacher? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, honor your father and mother. Then the guy, he said, teacher, I have kept those from my youth, all of these rules. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. Now, just a second, we're going to see that Jesus, he knows this man that he hasn't kept all the commandments. He knew that he hadn't already kept all of them. The first commandment, this man had already broken. The first commandment says, don't have any other gods before me, because he already had all of this stuff in his life that was more important than God. So Jesus knew at the very front that this man had messed up. He was not keeping all of the rules, but even knowing that, the good news is the Bible says Jesus still loved him. Jesus still loved the guy, and that's one of the coolest things that you'll ever come to know about God is he will know everything about you. He will know the good. He will know the bad. He will know the ugly. He will know all of that stuff, and he still loves you. He still has tremendous amount of love for you. Jesus goes on and he says this, he says, there's one thing left. He's talking to this rich young ruler. He says, go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and all your wealth will then be heavenly wealth, and then come follow me. The man's face clouded over. Now, obviously, this wasn't what he was expecting to hear. Now, I think he's probably looking more for a pat on the back, saying, yeah, you're doing a good job, just keep it up. But his face clouded over. And it says, he walked off with a heavy heart, He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? Now, this rich young ruler, this this guy here, he was holding on to three beliefs about God, about how to have eternal life, and these beliefs were dead wrong. They were just outright wrong. He was messing up. And I don't want any of us here today to make the same mistakes. We're going to go through these. We're going to talk about these, these mistakes that the rich young ruler made so that we don't make these same mistakes. Okay, the first one, the first belief mistake that he made is what I have is enough to have a right relationship with God. That's mistake number one. Now you have to admit this guy had a lot going for him, didn't he? And there's a reason he was called the rich young ruler. Those are three things that we know about him right from the start. Now, first he was rich. Now, some people oftentimes they'll read this story and they will conclude: this story is saying that money's bad. It's saying all money is bad. That's not what this story is saying. That's not what it means. Now, there's some problems with our attitude towards money. It comes with our attitude with the way we act around it. But money, I think we can all agree it has some benefits, doesn't it? It's good to have, I mean, we, it's good to have money. We, we need to have that around. But it's our attitude towards it. Money has potential for tremendous good and also for tremendous evil in our life. And the Bible tells us this guy had a lot of it. He had a lot of money. We're also told he was young, probably to show that he had a lot of potential. He had a lot of life ahead of him. And we also know that it's, we're told he's a leader. We don't know if he's a religious leader or a political leader or what kind of leader he was, but this guy, just think about it. He had financial resources, he had a bright future, and he had a lot of influence. But we know a little bit more about him too. We know he was straightforward. We know he was right out in the open, because when he came up to Jesus, he just asked this question right in front of everybody, about eternal life. Back then, if you read the stories about Jesus, you see a lot of times when people asked Jesus a question, they were doing it to try to trick him. They were raising issues to try to mess him up, try to get Jesus, you know, kind of back him up into a corner a little bit. But this guy, he comes right up to Jesus in front of everybody, and he asks this question. He says, hey, Jesus, I've got some questions. I want to ask these questions to you. We also know he was moral. He was a moral man. Jesus, he names off four, or five, or six of the commandments. And this guy says, yep, I've kept all of them ever since I was a little boy. No, I've kept all of these things. And he had a real good system in his mind about what was right and what was wrong. Now, seriously, how many of us can look at the, great, uh, the Ten Commandments? How many of us can look at these Ten Commandments that were just listed right here and say, yep, I've kept all these? I've honored my mother and father all the time. I've never told a lie. I've never stolen. I've never done any of that. I've never withheld from the IRS any of that stuff that is rightfully theirs. I've never done that. Recently, a phone rang in a small country church. A minister answered the phone, and and he said, Hello, this is Pastor Smith. And on the other end of the line, the guy said, Hi, this is the IRS. I need your help with something. And the pastor, you know, he got a little nervous, said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can. And the IRS agent, he said, do you know a Sam Johnson? And the pastor said, well, yeah, I do. He's a member of our church here. And the IRS agent said, well, did he just recently donate $10,000 to your church? And the pastor said, oh, he will. He will. Now, we have to admit that this rich young ruler, he had a lot going for him, didn't he? He could have easily believed that it would have been enough, all of this stuff that he had and that he was doing to have a right relationship with God. But Jesus looked at the man. The Bible says that he told him, you're missing something. You're still missing something. That's not enough. And I think it's at this point is where he moves into the second mistaken belief and that is, if what I have isn't enough, then I can do more to earn my way into heaven. It's clear from reading this story that this rich young ruler, he, you know, he suspected that his, his finances, that his religion, that his morality, all this stuff that he had, that it had some limitations. That maybe you know, he might need to do a little bit more. That's why he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's talk about this for a moment, about how we can be rightly related to God. On the screen up here, let's say this represents the rich young really. You like my artistic abilities there? It's kind of hard to draw on PowerPoint, but that's the best stick person I (laughs) I can get there. Let's say this represents a rich young ruler or the or you. you now we could say it, it represents you too. And then underneath this, we will put the word do. Because that's the question that the rich young ruler had. He asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay? We'll put God over here on this other side. Put God over there. Because this man understood instinctively he had this thinking going on that there was something in his life that was wrong. There was something that was not quite right. He was not as close to God as he needed to be or as he wanted to be. Now, he didn't use a word to describe the problem, but the Bible tells us a word. The Bible gives us a word that describes the problem that he was feeling, and that is the word sin. He had this sin that was keeping him from God. Now, all of us, we understand that sin is the bad things that we do, right? Sin's the bad stuff that we do. When we do something bad, we've sinned. Now we shouldn't have done that. But sin is also the good that we fail to do. There's another side to sin. The Bible says, be forgiving. Every time we're a little less than forgiving, we sin. The Bible says, be patient. How many of you in here have trouble with patience? Yeah, me too. The older I get, the more impatient I get. finding that out. When we're not patient, we sin. That's what the Bible says. How many of you always tell the truth? You always tell the truth? Always truthful. We got one back here. She just lied. You're a liar. You said, I always tell the truth. Liar. (laughs) Just kidding you. We all know we have sin in our life, don't we? We know we've got this stuff that is keeping us from God. It has created this chasm. It has created this canyon between us and God. Look at the Bible, and you're, you're listening to God, Isaiah 64, verse 6. that says this, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we proudly display our righteous deeds, all of the good things that we've done, every good deed we can stack up there, we find there but filthy rags. Romans 3.23 says, For we all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. So we have to agree we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same situation. It says there that we all fall short. This rich young ruler, he tried a variety of ways to get to God. And it's like jumping to Grand Canyon. Anybody ever been to Grand Canyon? Ever, ever seen? I saw it when I was a little kid. You've seen pictures of it. Everybody's seen pictures of it. That's like trying to jump the Grand Canyon. Okay, let's say, you know, a couple of us, one, one of you guys, you can jump really good. So you can run, you can jump, and you can get nine feet. I can only run and jump and get about three feet because I'm really bad out of shape. I mean, I, that's about as far as I can jump. But if we stand by the Grand Canyon, even though you can jump further than me, the result's still going to be the same, right? Splat down on the bottom. We're going to fall down into the Grand Canyon. We're not going to make it. So this guy, this guy in our story, he had tried to get to God by keeping a lot of rituals and rules and regulations, all this stuff. And a ritual, it's something that you do over and over and over again, hoping that it's going to be enough. He said, I've been keeping these rules since I was a little boy. I've been very ritualistic in this stuff. I've been keeping all these rules. He's, he's also tried religion. Because when Jesus said, have you followed these laws, these Ten Commandments, he understood what they were. So he is obviously a very religious guy. But Jesus said, that's not enough. That's still not enough. All of our good deeds, every good thing that we do, we can stack them up and it's not through rules and regulations and rituals and all these good things that helps us have a right relationship with God. We can't get to him that way. Then Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 10 it says God saved you by his special favor when you believed and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Okay? It's it's a gift. He's saying right there, it's a gift. Now, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. And why is that? So that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So rules, religion, none of these things will get us to God. So God had to come to us. And he came to us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, he did not die for any of the sins he had committed because the Bible tells us he was without sin. So he did not die for his sins. So guess whose sins he died for? Yours and mine. He died for all of our sins when he died on the cross. He paid for all that. He took the punishment for our sins, he took it, and he canceled it. So if you trust Jesus Christ to forgive you of all of your sins, when God looks at your life, he sees stamped across it, paid in full. It's taken care of, and Jesus becomes our bridge. We get to God through Jesus Christ. So over underneath God's name, we have the word done. Because this is the fundamental difference between Christianity and other religions. Religion is ritual. It's about what you do. Christianity is about relationship. It's about what God has already done for us through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3 verse 21 it says this, He says, but now God has shown us a different way of being right in His sight, not obeying the law, because that's rules and rituals and religion. He says, but by the way promised in the Scriptures long ago, we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, and we all can be saved the same way no matter who we are or what we've done. You can be saved no matter who you are, or what you've done. That's good news. That's because I've done some pretty bad stuff. But God, He still saves me. He still wants to do that for all of us. You can accept Jesus Christ and what He has done for you on the cross as proof of God's love for you, and you can receive this gift of forgiveness It comes into your life, this eternal life. You get it, as a gift, just because he loves you. This rich young ruler, he believed that he could do more to get to heaven. He found out he was wrong. Belief mistake number three, he believed I can trust Jesus with part of my life and still be completely right with God. Now, this is a hard one. Okay, I'm just going to lay it out there for you. Okay, this is what I do. This is who I am. I'm just going to lay it out there for you. But have you ever been curious, I mean, seriously, about why some Jesus followers can go out on a Friday night and they can get totally wasted and then they can come in to church in a worship service on a Sunday and they don't see any contradiction between the two? Or how a guy who's a Jesus follower, he can sit by his wife weekend after weekend in church service, but Monday through Saturday he's carrying on an affair with his co-workers, but yet he doesn't seem to be bothered by that. Do you know why that happens a lot in our culture? Do you know why that happens a lot today? Because we have come to falsely believe that as long as we give God just some of our life, if we give him just a part of our life, then we have a right to hold on to other parts of our life and not let God have anything to do with these areas over here. But that's wrong. That is a mistaken belief, and that is one that will get you into some trouble. You might say to God, God, you can have every area of my life except for this one over here. I have some relationships that I know that uh, if I were to say to you, God, please come lead me in these relationships, that you would say, okay, you got to change this stuff. The way you're relating to these people, it's not the way that you should be. So you say, okay, God, I'm going to give you all of this, but I'm going to hold on to this one over here and I will do this one. I'll take care of this one. You can't touch this one over here. Or maybe you have trouble trusting God with your past. You say, God, if you saw how ugly my past was, if you'd seen all the bad things I'd done, I don't want you to have to deal with all of the broken pieces and all of this stuff in my life and all the sin that has accumulated there. So I'll hold on to the shame. I'll hold on to the guilt. I'll hold on to all this stuff, but I'll trust you with my future, but my past, okay, that's mine. I'm going to hold on to this stuff. Or maybe your issue is, you know, God, I'll trust you with my past, but my future, it's mine. Okay, I'm going to hold on to this. I've got plans. I've got things I want to do. Someday I'll hook up with you in heaven, but between now and then, this is mine. I want to take care of all this stuff. You can't have this one. If Jesus Christ is God's son, and he died on the cross to prove His love for you, if He rose from the dead, proving His identity and His power, which I believe He did, wouldn't you agree that He deserves our 100% full devotion? He deserves it. This rich young ruler, he was living for things. He was living for comfort. He didn't want to give Jesus his whole life. He just wanted to give him part of it he thought that would be enough but he was wrong second chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 this is a memory verse for the week every week we throw out a memory verse if you're interested in memorizing a verse out of the bible this is our suggestion this week second chronicles 16 9 it says the eyes of the lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him The Bible tells us that when Jesus touched that one area of the rich young ruler's life that he was unwilling to give to Jesus, the rich young ruler turned around and he walked away sad. Now, you can't help but think what might have been. As you see this guy walking away, you can't help but think what might have been if he would have chosen differently. He might have become the best friend of Jesus. He might have been an eyewitness to the resurrection. He might have become a leader in the early church. But instead, he turned around and he walked away because he only wanted to give Jesus part of his life and not all of it. Now, when it comes down to it, and this is important to note Jesus, he was not interested in the guy's possessions. He could have cared less about all of the stuff that this guy had. What he really wanted was for this guy to give him his undivided devotion. So when you come to Jesus, it's like you're saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything. I'm not exactly sure what that means right now. I'm not exactly sure how that looks, but I know you love me. I know that I need my sins forgiven, and I need you to lead me. So I give you my life, 100% of it, every area of my life. Now these words of Jesus that are found in Mark chapter 10 verse 29 at the end of the story of the rich young ruler, these can be a source of comfort for us. It Says Jesus said, "Mark my words, no one who sacrifices house." brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, land, whatever, because of me and the message, will lose out. They won't lose out. No one who sacrifices for me will lose out. Was there anything wrong with where he was going, with what he was doing? You know, it's just that he wanted to do what he wanted to do. He was saying, my life, my way, my will, my little area, my compartment of my life, I'm going to keep this over here, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do with it. You can't have it. God is waiting for you to let go of things. He's waiting for you to let go of things that Eternally, they really have no value. They have no significance so that He can give you the true treasure of eternal life. Now, on the back of your PR sheet, if you go ahead and grab that, it's a blue sheet that was in the program that was handed to you when you came in. There's an area there called My Next Step, and we've got some questions there for you to answer. These are designed for you just to look at and answer these things and be thinking about what we have talked about today. But I want to ask you, what are you holding on to? First question there is, what am I refusing to let go? What is it? Think think about that. Is it your past? Is it your future? Your finances? Your failures? What compartment of your life are you trying to hold on to and not giving everything to God? And can you make this your prayer today? It's a second question. Second thing there. I want to say this prayer today. God, today I give you everything. Can you honestly say that? It's not easy, but something that we need to do. We need to come to terms with this. Do you want to give God everything? My challenge to you, my encouragement to you is do it. Do it it's hard enough trying to live this life without any of God's help. You know, we've got to have his help. We've got to have his leadership in our life. So my encouragement to you is give your will, exchange your will for God's will for your life. Make his yours.